You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I think a good question to consistently ask yourself uh, is uh, as you come to worship, as you uh, gather with God's people is, why, why am I here? It seems like a, a pretty simple question, but I think it's worth our careful consideration. Why are you here this morning? Some of you might say, well, it's just what we do. It's what we do on Sunday mornings. But why are you here? Uh, are you here to just check off a box on a list of things that you uh, feel that you are obligated to do? Why are you here? Are you here to hear from God through his word? Uh, Are you here to pour out your heart in worship? Why are you here? People come to worship for all sorts of reasons, some good and some probably not so good. Uh, And I just would challenge you to consistently ask yourself that question as we gather as God's people, as we are this morning. Uh, I love to worship with you, and uh, I love to open God's word with you, and it is not lost on me the incredible responsibility that is mine every week uh, as we come together. And while I'm not the only one who ever uh, preaches, uh, teaches from the pulpit, uh, it's an incredible responsibility that I do not take lightly. And so, uh, again, I would ask you to join me in Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Last week, we started a sermon series here in the book of Proverbs, and we said that the dictionary definition of Wisdom, which is the overarching theme of the book of Proverbs, is the ability to make good judgments based upon what you have learned from experience. Well, then that begs the question, what do you do if you don't have much experience, right? And that's why uh, it appears that much of the book of Proverbs is written to the young Uh, And so it's certainly fitting that the kids are in the room today. I want you kids to lock in a bit for just a few moments on Pastor Mike. And uh, I want you to pay attention to what God is saying through his word. Understand, uh, kids, that we believe uh, that this is not just a good book. Okay, and I hope that you read good books, okay? Uh, I hope that you uh, go to the library in the summer and you get good books to read and all of those sorts of things. That's really important. But there's no book like this book. Uh, We believe that God wrote this book. It's God-breathed, and he has given it to us for life and for instruction. And we uh, say that it is authoritative, which means it it has full authority over our lives. And so that's why whenever we gather, as we have here this morning, we always want to open our Bibles together. And even if you don't have a physical copy there with you, I hope that you'll follow along on the screen in a few moments as I read. But wisdom... Uh, is the theme, really, of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time and in the right way. We would say that biblical wisdom is the ability to see life from God's perspective. And last week, I used that illustration of flying in an airplane. Uh, It wasn't long ago, just two or three weeks ago, that I flew out of uh, Love Field, out of a hangar there, and uh, you you get there, and I was in traffic a lot of the way, and there was a lot of confusion, and there was construction, and all of these things. It was just kind of a beating, just getting there. It's one of those little trips, you know, when you finally get there, and you put the car in park, you're just like, oh, I'm glad that's over, right? 
And then once, once we got in the plane and we took off and we got several thousand feet above all of that chaos and confusion, it, it, I, I gained a whole new perspective. Things seemed much more calm and much more uh, ordered and, and all of that. And so I, I often think of that when I think of God's perspective. When you live in a broken, sinful world like we do, where there's a lot of confusion and chaos and division and contention and arguing and bickering and fighting and all of those things, it just gets exhausting. You have to remember that God sees all this in a completely different way. And while he's not honored or glorified in any way by the chaos and the confusion uh, that is going on in our world, he's in no way taken by surprise. So we need God's Wisdom, we all need it, but how do we get it? We said last week that that wisdom begins, to gain wisdom begins with the fear of God. That's uh, That's what's written here for us in Solomon's words. To gain wisdom, ask God. Scripture says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I hope that daily, regularly, you pray for wisdom. We all need wisdom. Uh, To gain wisdom, trust Christ. And hopefully last week, if you were here, you... Uh, you caught uh, the overarching truth that we were trying to convey, and that is this. In Scripture, wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is actually a person. The early Christians, if you study the Gospels, you know that both Jews and Gentiles, uh, as they uh, followed and, and came to know who Jesus was, they saw him as the embodiment of wisdom, the personification of wisdom, and became wise as they walked with him. That's why we believe that the, the Christian life is a journey. It's a journey of fully committing your life, dying to yourself and committing your life to following hard after Jesus Christ because he is wisdom. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said it this way, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if you want to see wisdom on display, look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ himself who perfectly embodied wisdom as even we find it here in the book of Proverbs. Now in the first eight chapters of Proverbs we find a series of appeals or you might say speeches uh, from a father to his son issuing a call to understand and choose the benefits of a life governed by wisdom. And these paternal appeals uh, in chapters 1 through 8, are given to us in poetic form. Most of your Bibles, if you look at the, the typeset there, you'll see that uh, the typeset is a little bit different, indicating that you are reading poetry. These come to us in poetic form, and they lay out the themes, or what we might call the clusters, that will appear in the Proverbs proper uh, in later chapters. And we're going to look at some of those together over the next several weeks. But what we see here very clearly is that a a young person uh, in this particular context can choose either the path of wisdom, which is characterized by the fear of the Lord, or the path of folly or foolishness, which entails a rejection of God's ways. We actually see that back up in verse number 7 that we finished with last week. Notice there it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's some of that parallel, contrasting parallelism that we see throughout the book of Proverbs. And so one can choose one path or the other. And this is something that we see throughout Scripture. You see this throughout Scripture. You see a reference to two different paths, two opposing paths. 
Uh, it's very clear. This is the way of righteousness. This is the way of foolishness. This is the way of covenant faithfulness to God. This is the way of idolatry. This is the way of uh, satisfying oneself and fleshly desires. This is the way of seeking after God and the things of the, of the Lord. And so uh, we, we see this whole concept throughout Scripture. In fact, even uh, in our group connect this morning, when you uh, look at Psalm 16, you, you see some of that. You see the, the need for wisdom and relying upon the Lord for his counsel. And, and these sorts of things. And so the title of this morning's message is There's a Fork in the Road. Now back uh, pre-cell phone GPS days and all that kind of stuff, I can remember we traveled full time during part of that uh, time and we would sometimes print out maps. I think it was MapQuest maybe. We thought we had really arrived when MapQuest hit the internet. You could print out you know, step-by-step directions and everything. But sometimes with MapQuest... Uh, you'd come up and you go, well, there's construction up ahead. Which way do I go? <laughs> I don't know which way to, which way to turn here. And, and life is, is, is made up of those kinds of decisions all the time. Some far more significant than others, as we talked about last week. And so you, you, when you face a decision, you're essentially saying there, there's kind of a fork in the road here. Now, that's not to suggest that one way is always bad or evil or wrong. Sometimes you're met with two different choices. And I think sometimes we view the will of God as some sort of an Easter egg hunt. And God is somehow out there hiding his will from us, and it's our job to find it, hidden under a rock somewhere or something like that. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm just, I don't know if God wants me to buy the blue car or the red car? It may sound weird to you for a pastor to say this. I'm not sure that God is super concerned whether you drive a a red car or a blue car. I would say God wants you to buy the car you can afford. Okay, so when you you seek for wisdom, I think we're looking for some little magical moment when, you know, it's going to flash before us or something like that. And so, but in this particular case, we're not just talking about uh, deciding between two good things, equally good things. We're talking about two distinctly different paths, two distinctly different paths. The path of the righteous is described in Proverbs chapter 4, a little bit later, is like the light of day, it says, which shines brighter and brighter. But it also says there, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. The doctrine of these two ways, or the, uh, the, this pattern that we see throughout Scripture, these paths, it's again found throughout Scripture and is the underlying message of the book of Proverbs. There is the way of wisdom, and there is the way of folly or foolishness. There is the path of covenant life and relationship with God, or there is the path of idolatry. The two paths and their inevitable outcomes are portrayed throughout Scripture. You think of Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law does he meditate day and night. And when you do that, what you will find is that God will, will, will guide you and honor his word and give you wisdom and discernment. The prophet Jeremiah, he called the good way the ancient path in Jeremiah chapter 6. Later, Jesus made known that he himself is the way. The way, the truth, the life, the path to eternal life. And it's described in Scripture as a narrow way, and few there be that find it. There's a broad way, a different path, a different road, and many people are on that road, on that path. 
So we see this picture throughout Scripture. Even the Apostle Paul sets out opposing ways of law and grace. And so he says, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we uh, serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way uh, of the written code. So maybe some of you are here today and you're like on the road of self-righteousness. You're trying in every way that you can to be good enough to somehow earn God's favor. That's a bad road to be on. Because the Bible makes it crystal clear that even on your best day, you can't be good enough. So the only way to, to, to find peace with God and to, to experience the peace of God in your life is through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. So again, we see these two paths. And so in keeping with the mandate of covenant life and God's people... A father passes on to the next generation the truth that the fear of the Lord is the path to wisdom. The path to wisdom. And so the first paternal appeal uh, that we see here is, is a warning against those who promise profit by taking sinful advantage of other people. We see it all the time in our culture. Uh, people, people doing things in a secretive sort of way. And we'll even see that kind of imagery here in our text today. And doing things under cover of darkness, so to speak. And in a deceptive sort of way so as to take advantage of people who, uh, in many cases, are especially vulnerable. And so there's this warning against that. These plots, they offer companionship and immediate gain. And yet they lead down a path that ends in destruction. And the force behind that is greed. It's greed. It's what the Apostle Paul calls in his writing to Timothy, the love of money. And you'll notice here that he concludes this warning by pointing out that accumulating wealth through greed and dishonest means takes away the life of its possessors. So you're walking towards your own destruction. There's a fork in the road. So let's look together at uh, verses 8 through 19 here in Proverbs chapter 1. He says, here, my son. Now, kids, when you see that, he's not just talking to the boys, okay? He's talking to you girls, too. Uh, he's, he's talking to his son here. Uh, but this applies to all, all boys and girls. He says, your father, listen, here, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Let me rephrase that in a way you can understand. You ought to listen to your mom and daddy. Okay, listen and obey. Okay, listen and obey. Okay, and the same applies to us as adults, by the way, too. So you're not off the hook this morning, okay? It says, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life 
of its possessors. Uh, It's become more popular uh, in in recent years, I feel like, uh, to refer to uh, certain influences in our lives as life forces. You ever heard that? And there are certain forces at work. Uh, I'm not talking about some uh, some uh, extraterrestrial kind of. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about influences. Okay, so I want us to talk about that for a moment today as we look at this text. I want you to first think about the force of formative influences. Formative influences. There's a wide variety of formative influences at work today. Jace addressed this some time ago when he talked about. Um, about the way that we are influenced by the things around us, the way that we are shaped, the way that we are formed uh, by the world around us. That's why we consistently, as, as church leaders here, we ask you the question, who or what is discipling your family? Who's shaping your family spiritually? What, what kind of content are you consuming? What, kind of, what, what do you do with your time? What kind of things are you allowing to just pour into your mind? Why, why do you suppose that we often refer to the early childhood years, especially as the formative years? We call them that is be, because we know that an individual's beliefs and values are being shaped or, or formed in a profound way during those years. And there are people in this room today who could give testimony to that in a positive way and some who would have to give testimony to that in a very negative way. Because you saw in your home growing up what, what taking the path of certain things leads to. It leads to destruction. And you saw the devastation that it can cause in a family and how it can blow up family relationships and marriages and all of those sorts of things. Okay, so we see it uh, in, in both ways. I want us to think, first of all, here as we look at verse number 8, about parental influence. Parental influence. Uh, We talked before about the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Very, very important. It's a biblical mandate for godly parents to uh, disciple their children in the ways of the Lord. Remember it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your saying. It says, You shall teach these things diligently to your children. That's formative parental influence. We would say we should all be very intentional, especially those of us who are still actively rearing up children. They are still living in our home, dependent upon us for their very livelihood, uh, that you are very intentional about how you do that. That it become a way of life for you. One of the things that we've seen in church culture uh, over the last, I don't know how many years, is that people want to uh, assign that task to the church. Well, if we just get them to church, if I just send them to that youth group, or I just send them off to, then they'll take care of the spiritual part of it. That's not how God intends for it to work. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the mandate is for you to train up and nurture your children in the ways of the Lord. And now notice how this whole thing brings about a dual aspect. Yes, there, there's this appeal to to your children, to hear and to listen and to not forsake instruction. You ever bought anything like at Ikea? Maybe you had a weak moment and you bought something at Ikea and then then you opened it up and you like looked at those instructions and you're like, I'm, I'm I'm not a structural engineer. I mean, come on, what in the world? Or you've opened up something you thought, I don't need the instructions. I can figure this out. And so you skip a a critical step 
And then you go back and wait, I wish I'd have followed the instructions. I wish I would have listened. And sometimes that's what we do. We, we fail to listen like we should. So kids, that's why it's so important for you to listen to your parents. Listen to their instruction and their wisdom and heed that instruction. But if they are going to listen and hear wise instruction, that means, parents, there must be some wise instruction. That must mean that we are pouring godly wisdom into them. And that means we must be committed to teaching them the things of the Lord. You may say, well, I feel, you know, I feel overwhelmed when I think about that. I don't know the Bible like I should. I can't answer all their questions. I can't. Hey, one of the most important things that you can do as a parent is to lay down your pride and admit to your kids that you don't know all the answers. But I want to help you find them. I want to help you find them. That's why we are discovering more and more in the world in which we live, especially where there's so much moral confusion and chaos, it is not enough to consistently tell your kids, just because I said so. That may fundamentally be true, but, but if you are not willing to dig in and to give them some biblical truth and the foundation for why you believe what you say you believe, they will leave your home morally confused. You don't want that. And so parental influence. Then there's partnering influence. We know that. There are church leaders, uh, the church community, your extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, other family members, all those things. Those are partnering influences, or at least we we hope that. That's not always the case. Uh, Our desire as church leaders, as, as a church, is to come alongside you, to partner with you in this. Okay, we don't want to take the responsibility away from you, but we do want to partner with you in that. Okay, and then there are outside influences. Outside influences. There are friends, there are teammates, there are coaches, there's media, there's music, there's all of these other things that are influencing us. Not just our kids, influencing us. And so that's why you have to consistently ask yourself, what is it that I'm allowing to influence me? If you're just sitting in front of the news all day, every day, pretty soon you're going to have a pretty cynical view of the world. And you're going to be like discouraged and defeated and anxious and all of the things that that brings. I had somebody even within our church tell me, my doctor told me I should quit watching the news so much because it's affecting my blood pressure. There's some wisdom in that, okay? Even doctors can give you some wisdom, okay? What is it that, who's discipling you? And so listening and following the ways of godly wisdom, he says here in verse number nine, leads to favor. He uses some unusual language for us. He says, graceful garland, as a graceful garland should be put on your head. Pendants indicates honor and favor, a reward. Think of a a crown for one's head. Okay, that's what happens, kids, when you listen to your parents and you heed their wisdom and you follow their instruction. I know many times, and I I was the same way when I was younger, I felt like some of the things my parents told me to do or not do is they just wanted to kill all my fun. But that's not the truth of it. Now, it's much like whenever we think about God, when God said, understand this basic underlying principle that you find throughout Scripture, without exception. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. So that's why God has parameters and principles and guidance and guardrails. 
Because he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves by making foolish decisions. So now I want you to notice secondly here as we look at the text, the force of evil enticements. At this fork in the road, there will always be an encouragement to take the path of folly. For all of our teaching and all of our training and all of our discipling, we know that this world will gladly provide a small army of alternatives in the form of evil enticements. The foolish freeway can look incredibly attractive. It has an appeal to it. I can be accepted if I take this path with those people. If I can give in to this activity or that activity, if I, if I go after, I can have a bigger home and a nicer car and all those things. may have to fudge a little bit over here and there, but, but ultimately, I get what I want. So to give you all kinds of opportunities to compromise your beliefs and to walk in a way that is contrary to the things of God. And so I want you to notice the nature of these evil enticements. They're attractive. The word that is used here in verse number 10 is actually the word entice. So think lure or bait. Remember James tells us that we are drawn away or lured by our own lust and enticed. And then he tells us what happens when we do that. It, it brings forth sin and sin ultimately brings forth death. It leads us to destruction. I always uh, think of this illustration. I come back to it <laughs> often. Uh, many years ago, I was preaching at a student convention uh, on the campus of Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And I had an opportunity one day to go over and spend some time at the Bass Pro Shop. I think it was the original Bass Pro Shop. And as I walked up to the place that day, they had this massive, like a massive aquarium, like the size of an 18-wheeler trailer. Like this huge tank filled with water. And you could see the fish and everything inside there. And there was a guy sitting up on uh, what looked like a, a, a boat chair or whatever, and he is demonstrating a particular type of bait. And so he's got a microphone, and he's talking, and he's flipping the bait into the water, and he's reeling it in, he's working it. And the cool thing is, you could actually see the bait working right there in front of you, because, I mean, you're eye level with the water, and you can see how the fish are interacting and, and responding and reacting to this bait. And so as he's talking about it, and he's telling you how do you twitch it this way, and you do this, and, you, and then you reel a bit, and then you... One, one of the things you notice quickly is one of those big bass, it got its attention, and it went, and it locked in on that bait. And the reason that it did is because that bait was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. It was baiting the fish. It looked attractive to the fish. Whether it was the color of the lure or the way he was working the lure or whatever, that fish found it incredibly attractive. And it locked in on it and it started following it. And the guy's watching. I mean, he could literally see, we could see it all happening and everything. And pretty soon that fish decided, I need me some of that. And it chomped down on it, and the guy goes, and this is when you set the hook. And he reeled the fish in. I think that's a, a pretty vivid picture of what we find here. Evil enticements. Hey, you're not going to see the end of the road and where it leads. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that when it's time to make the decision. No, you see the fun that could be had or the acceptance that you will gain or, or, or the, the fleshly desires that will be satisfied and, and those kinds of things. We, we've got one of those fly traps in our backyard right now. I had to move it because they stink so badly. I'm telling you, they are raunchy. 
So I moved it around to the side of the house. But that thing is filled with flies. You know what it is that attracts them? It's the smell. Fly, they love that stuff. They love that. It's, attract, it's not attractive to me at all. But it's attractive to them. And just know that our enemy, he will do everything he can to pull you in to his garbage. He wants you to experience it as something that is good. And so it is attractive. And so here Solomon describes an enticement that includes acceptance and excitement and easy gain. This whole idea of wealth without work. It's cumulative. It's compulsive. But ultimately, if you read down to verse number 19, it is destructive. It's destructive. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Someone said it this way. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. I think about a wrestling match. I never got to wrestle competitively. We didn't have that at the school I went to. Um, but I've always admired those who, who wrestle well. We've got some friends who live in Nebraska, and their kids are big into, into wrestling. I mean, there's just like this, it's a struggle, right? I mean, it's just, it's work. It's, it's just, it's grueling to watch. I mean, somebody said one of the most difficult things is to watch your kid wrestle, right? I mean, it's just a struggle, and that's, that's the way many times this whole thing is pictured in Scripture for us. It's like this struggle with sin and the flesh and the appeal of the things of the world and the flesh, and so we daily get up and we have to do battle. And so what Solomon is saying here to his, his son in this case, he says, don't tap out. Don't tap out. Don't give in. Sinners entice you, lure you, bait you. Do not take the bait. Do not consent. Don't tap out in the struggle with temptation and sin. Do not walk in the way. There's an incredible force behind evil enticements. And I want you to notice finally this morning the force of divine proclamation. You see, Solomon makes it clear here that whichever path is chosen, there is an ultimate destination. There's an ultimate destination. And we, we see it described in, in, in various ways. Fools, you choose the, the, the path of foolishness. Uh, that's marked by those who hate knowledge, who reject godly wisdom. Scorners, delight in scorn. They, they're described here as running to evil, shedding innocent blood, those kinds of things. While on the other hand, the wise listen and heed instruction. I mean, it'd be like somebody, you know, approaching a road and they get stopped by, uh, you know, a highway patrolman or something saying, hey, don't, don't, you can't go this way. There's a bridge out up ahead. And you're like, what? You see this car? I can take it. And you just keep driving anyway. How foolish is that? The wise flee youthful lust. The wise refuse to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. The foolish freeway leads to despair and destruction. It may be appealing for a moment. It may seem like a good path to choose, but ultimately it leads to destruction. I don't know about you, but I've seen this on more than a few occasions right here in good old Van Alstein, USA, because we have service roads in Van Alstein that go both ways, right? Yep, just like some of you, I'm driving down the service road there on the east side of 75 toward Golden Chick. Randall, you owe me for that one. Um, 
toward Golden Chick, and, um, and, and lo and behold, somebody is right over here to my left, and they're going the same direction in the wrong lane. And so, you know, I start making a fool of myself. I'm like trying to, to let them know that you're going the wrong way, man. And they just wave at you like they think you're waving. It's like, you know, I'm just like cringing, hoping at any moment another car doesn't come right. You got to get out of that lane. That's, you're going the wrong way. And that's what Solomon's getting at here. Many times there is a fork in the road. When you choose the wrong path, it will lead to your destruction and despair and defeat and all of those things. And so I have to wonder this morning, is it time for you to make a U-turn? I know I'm not the only one who's ever taken a wrong exit or made a wrong turn and realized I've I got to turn around. I, somehow I've got to go. I got to turn around. I'm supposed to be going the other direction. That's kind of what he's saying here in, in, in verse number 23. Notice it says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you turn at my reproof. Again, that's a picture that we see throughout Scripture. I'm reading in the Old Testament right now in the book of Jeremiah. And it's amazing how many times God says through the prophet Jeremiah, turn, turn, turn away from your sinful, turn away from your idolatry, do a U-turn, go back the other direction, return to me, come back, get on the right path. And he says here, if you move down to verse number 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, is this suggesting that if you choose this one particular path, you'll never have a pothole or you'll never have a day of difficulty? No. But you'll know how to navigate the potholes and the difficulties, and you'll have a firm foundation of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a fork in the road. One path, while it may look appealing initially, it may look like a good idea. Ultimately, it leads to destruction. Choose the way of wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Let's disciple our children in wisdom and the ways of the Lord so that we can see them flourish. So for just a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I can't help but think uh, in a room this size, those watching online, there may be some who would say, Pastor, I, I think I might be that one who's on the path of self-righteousness. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to be good enough. And I'm hoping that somehow, some way, if I can be good enough, in the end, I'll find God's favor. But I want to remind you clearly that Scripture says that is a way that leads to destruction. The only way that you can be at peace with God, know the peace of God in your heart and life, is through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to take that step of faith today acknowledging that you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, you need a Savior. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There may be some here today who would say, Pastor, I, I would have to acknowledge that I've made some fatal decisions in recent days, weeks, months, and I'm on a wrong path. It's a path of compromise. It's a path of fleshly pleasures. It's a path of immediate satisfaction and what I'm realizing by the Spirit of God this morning and the Word of God today is that that's a path that will ultimately lead to my destruction. It's a path that will lead to the destruction of my home, my marriage, my family. It's a path that will lead to addiction, perhaps. I need to make a U-turn. The way that you do that spiritually is coming before God in humility, confession, and repentance. You turn. That's literally what those words mean. To turn and go the other way. To turn away from. Maybe you today. Certainly all of us could say, Pastor, I so desperately need God's wisdom every day. As I lead my family, as I make life decisions, I need godly wisdom. I want to be in the Word regularly and in prayer and seeking the Lord for wisdom. So, Father, today we thank you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for uh, really the simplicity of your Word. I feel that there are principles and truths found in the text that we've looked at today that even the youngest of our kids here can understand and grasp in some respect. Lord, help us every day, every day to choose the path of wisdom, which we know means that is following hard after Jesus, who is the very embodiment and personification of wisdom. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, the power of your word, they be drawn to you today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we need your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.